0: We are going to start today's session with a conversation with Sumant Mandal, co founder and managing partner of Marsh Capital. Sumant, welcome back. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, good.
1: Early in the morning, but nice to see you.
0: Yes. Well, let's catch up. Um, let's uh, also catch the audience up on how you are living the pandemic what's happening with your fund your portfolio companies what are you seeing etc
1: i um i think we've all become zoom and webex experts is the one takeaway from this one year and we have more meetings every day than we ever had before because everyone's everyone's available (laughs) when you need them and want them Yeah. Which is the good thing. The bad thing is that every day looks like the last day or the next day. There's not much change going on. So hopefully with the vaccine, now that we've all started to get it, we will uh, start to see coming back to something like the world we were used to a a year or so ago. But otherwise, things are good. And the world of technology is really booming. Yes,
0: indeed. What uh, what has been your portfolio's experience with the pandemic?
1: So, Rana, um, it's, it's 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 um, it's been interesting. I think the first two or three months, you know, March then April May, people were a little confused and were worried about what's going to happen. So there was a pullback from spending, and people were just trying to figure out. How do we keep our lights on, you know? And, and I think about people, when I say that, this is about large enterprises and customers for our companies, which sell into these enterprises. But about three months, six months in, into this new world of sort of living from home, working from home, people realize that their needs for what we do, which is cloud-based technologies or uh, SaaS SaaS-based technologies actually is now a must have, it's not a nice to have. So uh, quite a few of our companies, not all, but quite a few of our companies saw their business pick up really well. And so I'd say Q4 was exceptional last year and Q1 Mm -hmm. continues to show that people really need these new types of cloud-based values to keep their businesses going. not every business, I would say, you know, obviously, work from home technologies, collaboration technologies, uh, video conferencing, or whatever you want to call it, um, cybersecurity, especially cybersecurity, which is cloud cloud based and the next generation of cybersecurity, those kind of companies did really well. Companies that were mm-hmm. doing transformation projects, automation, you know, taking old workflows and trying to make them more intelligent. Those had some challenges. I think people were focused on making sure that their lights are on and they can continue to serve their customers, not necessarily trying to save 5% of their operating cost in the CFO suite or stuff like that. Front office, which is sales and marketing and customer support became more important than back office. That's the way I think about what has been my, I would say, understanding of how people have spent money or adopted new technologies over the last
0: months yeah yeah i can imagine transformation there's enough for transformation happening so people are (laughs) not looking to transform more
1: (laughs) now i think that uh, will normalize i think over the next 12 months we'll see one thing is not going to change i don't think that this idea of being in the office which was so important to everyone, which is, you know, even in our office, which is not a very large office, we would say, no, 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 you have to be in the office to, to provide work. I think that concept has been challenged. Yes. Yeah. If people go back mm-hmm. to office, will people be back in, in work with each other? Yes. I mean, human beings are social and they need to be with each other, especially for something where you're trying to create something new. You want to be with other people and brainstorm, but it's okay to work from home as well. So I think that concept is definitely here to stay.
0: Well, you know, we have run 1 million by 1 million as a virtual company, as a global virtual company. We are all spread out around the world right from the beginning. So nothing actually changed in our workflow. We don't do anything, you know, in person. So, uh, I would
1: say that if you have, if you have kids at home, they, yeah. they are very keen for you to go back to office.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, Especially I, I think teenagers. Very, very, hard times with small children in particular. Yes,
1: absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, you know, so for... uh, let's um, catch up a little bit on um, the situation with March Capital. What size fund are you working with right now? What size checks are you writing? What is the focus uh, of your investment thesis and so on?
1: sure level, sure so you know we are now investing out of our third fund we are seven mm-hmm. years old this year and we have a little over a billion dollars or so under management so we managed to raise our third fund during the pandemic which is a very interesting experience So meeting investors from all over the world like this <laughs> from our from you from your home office Um. But you know, it's been an interesting time for technology. So we've been we've been lucky enough to be in an in an area where people have more more interest than not, you know. Let's say a year ago. So our new fund is four hundred and fifty million dollars. We did a final close on the fund December thirty one of last year. So with a fund that size, I think our average average investment is probably close to twenty million dollars. Mm -hmm. So it could range from anywhere in a series A from 5 million to a pre-IPO round where we are putting 40, 50 million dollars into a company, but average is 20 million. Our Mm -hmm. core focus areas remain the same. Enterprise software, B2B, e-commerce enablement, which means fintech payments, fraud, etc. Cybersecurity and industrial software. Industrial, which is IoT driven. um, Yeah. So nothing much has changed on our focus area. I think we have seen our average investment size go up over the years.
0: Mm -hmm. And what, um, to write a $5 million check um, in the kinds of deals that you go into, what do you need to see as, you know, existing proof of market adoption or team or so forth?
1: I think it's really, it, when you're writing a series, a kind of investment, there's only two things that you have to have a point of view on, which is the quality of the founders, the team. And by quality, I mean, you know, have they done this before? Do they have the potential to build something of value? Is this, are they capable of attracting talent? Because half of the battle in a startup is always people. How do you hire good people? And there's such a fight for quality of talent. It's, it's you know that's the biggest challenge I see in front of small companies. Yeah. And the second, and the second is of course size of the opportunity. It doesn't have to be an opportunity that's huge today, but what's your belief around it being large in the long term? And I think those are the two things that we focus on. And um, we don't do very many Series A anymore. We kind of look for a little more traction before we invest. But when we do, we are happy to do it just by ourselves and uh, put in ten million dollars and buy twenty-five, thirty percent of the company and help someone succeed. So that's that's what so we. do. You're,
0: uh, you're saying that when you, you're willing to write a five, ten million dollar check on a concept, if you if those criteria right. are there. Yes. Interesting. That's that's not quite. Uh, that's not very usual these days because people are people want the pre-seed and the seed guys to finance the company to, you know, significant traction before people are willing to write five ten $10 million checks. So that's, I think that's, the
1: same. that's also very much the norm. It's not like, not to say that we don't do that or look for that as well. But if we know someone well, we've worked with them before, we think that they can build something worth billions of dollars. If it works, you know, I'm not saying it will, it always will, then we're not we're not afraid to do it by ourselves and write something in right away. And we have done so, a but few... the
0: operating yeah. word there is somebody you know and somebody who's done it right. before. If a first right. time founder you want to see traction and, and validation before you Absolutely. Uh, right.
1: And so, you know, for yeah. the first time founders, and you know TM Ravi well that's what the hive was created for. So as you know, I'm, you know, I helped Ravi start the hive as a co-founder 10 years or so ago, and that's the kind of venture incubator slash, you know, accelerator you look for, for a first time founder to get some help and get some traction before we look at it from the March side. Yeah. Well, we work, you
0: know, at scale with first time founders. So, very much yeah. the way in which we operate. Now, um, I want to probe something that you said about the scarcity of talent and, and the you know whole game being about creating a team in a very competitive market. And there are so many startups. That, I mean, the volume, the sheer volume of startups around the world is, is way larger now than there, it ever used to be. So um, talk to me a little bit about what your feelings are about virtual companies and remote teams what's happening today of course is people are you know coming up with unique and interesting ways of locating and leveraging talent in different parts of the world and with covid all this has accelerated hugely how do you view all that
1: so i think that so for, for sure the aperture through which now you look for hiring has become much larger and Geographic considerations are less important than availability of talent. We have a company that went public about 18 months ago in our portfolio called CrowdStrike, and it's a cybersecurity company, did very well. And that company, you know, is, is now about nine years old, but when it went public seven years, it from inception to going public took seven years, which is extraordinary in these times. And part of the reason was that the founders really focused on building the company using collaboration technologies like smartsheet and video conferencing, and did build the company without trying to focus on one or two campuses. Like they tried they didn't want to so they if they hired someone in in the Midwest or they hired someone on the East Coast or they hired someone in in Eastern Europe, they just tried to find the best talent and use new technologies as the framework through which the company was built, ground up, that works. If you try and have a company that's been built the old-fashioned way, and then you try and add on this geographic sort of um, uh, collaboration, using collaboration, it's very difficult. For example, I'll give you a a simple example. You know, I'm on multiple boards, and today all my board meetings are done using video conferencing or something like that. And it works great as long as everyone is on video conference. But if there are yeah. five people in a conference room and there are two people on video conference, that doesn't work. There's no way okay. for those two people to then have any say or point of view or influence any conversation. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think so. good
1: point. So I think it's a little bit of a um, cultural, um, as well as very deliberate, architecture for a company to either be geographically uh, distributed or not?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good point. You know, um, the, the pool of talent has also broadened, right? I mean, even a little country like Uruguay now has a new, has a couple of unicorns. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I remember a long time ago, there's a case study that we did. As you know, we do these Entrepreneur Journeys case studies on a regular basis. Um, one we did, this was a while ago, with two founders that met on the Internet, one from Ireland and one from Montevideo in Uruguay. So when I saw this unicorn from Uruguay, I was like, wow, you know, really a little country has come up in the, uh, you know, in the process. Estonia, of course, is churning out unicorn after unicorn and they've really become a startup nation, so to speak. So, uh, so there's, there's some very interesting, um, you know, talent sourcing and team structure, team architecture changes that are happening in the world right now vis-a-vis um, how companies are being built. So um, I want to come back to another point uh, that you made, which is about Hive. You know, of course, uh, Ravi is a close friend of ours, and... Um, We've observed what he plant what he has done with the hive. Um, now, what my understanding of Hive is that it's a it's a an accelerator that's that's built with small capital, about two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of capital, and it seeks very early exit for the entrepreneurs. Um, is that still? your and Ravi's point of view or are you um not particularly just a second are you are you getting back to the more you know traditional model of being a feeder to the later stage venture capital
1: um so the way the hive is structured it has the ability to put between two and five million dollars into a company over the life of the company so it's not two hundred fifty thousand. it's $250,000 250000 dollars is the first tranche towards figuring out if there's a idea that has merit or not, which basically means one person's salary for one year. No, that's more that's that's just the starting point. So the Hive can and will build companies for the long term and has, you know, companies like Foghorn have gone out and raised $70, 80000000 million and stuff like that coming out of the Hive. Now, if a company sells early, it sells early. Like we sold a company called Cose after putting in a million, million and a half dollars into it to Pinterest, but then we had Pinterest stock and we participated in the Pinterest IPO. So it's done very well on that model as well. What the is very different from like like the Y combinators of the world is it doesn't do classes of startups. It'll probably do one or two companies a year. And then really yes. focus on building a company, building the right team, getting it into the customers, you know, showing product market fit. And sometimes a company is in the high for two years plus before it goes out and raises a Series A. Mm-hmm. So I think the model is, um, has obviously, you know, you over time you 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 learn and you adapt and you create new kinds of mechanisms. I think the key again. For the Hive, for March, for anybody that you talk to is going to be around how do you attract the right talent. That's for me, if you, think, if you think about success and failure for these companies, everyone has good ideas. You could be off on market timing by a year. You could be off on, you know, stuff like that. You know, or technologies also generally work. It's not like, they, you know, um, you invest in something and it just doesn't work. It's how do you attract the right talent? And for Hive, it's a challenge. For us, it's a challenge. For our companies, it's a challenge. And I'm sure you hear this from all the entrepreneurs you work with.
0: Well, um, I think the what we also see in the what we call bootstrapping to exit mode of company building is a lot of actually hires. So we have sold companies in our portfolio in that mode companies with very little bit of angel financing and then going straight and we pull the company to us for for example in this mode um that is all about talent. if the company likes the you know whether they're going to stay with the same product strategy or not they will do that what they're looking for is the team um, that, that happens a lot as you know in the in this business so
1: yeah, but see, think, think about it this way. We have a company in our portfolio, which is, let's say it's 250 people today. Yeah. In the first half of this year, they plan to go from 250 to 550. So they have to hire mm-hmm. 200 people in six months. And it seems yeah. kind of like, okay, the only way you can do that is if you compromise on quality because you can't really filter so many people through the system so quickly. Yeah. So that's where yeah, the right. hire of say 30, 40 good engineers or 20 engineers and they're working on a similar technology or a similar, you know, they understand the area that you're in and that can be integrated really quickly makes sense.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Um, what are you seeing in the trends? Um, you know, of course, remote work is a big trend, collaboration, et cetera. Um, anything else that's stands out in this last,
1: you know, discontinuity. Yeah. continuity. I mean, very, I mean, I think most people will understand it. The whole idea of the supply chain in any industry has been challenged over the last 18, 24 months. It was challenged first by the whole US-China um, discord, call it whatever you want to call it. Um, but then with the pandemic, even the last mile, which is how you you know how a consumer products company would think about its inventory or think about keeping a, a shelf filled with its goods in a store has changed to how do I get my product to the customer's home right? So if you think about logistics, you think about warehousing, you think about supply chain, you think about transportation, that entire supply chain has been disrupted dramatically, all the way from manufacturing, so you know, your suppliers, 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 to delivery. Yeah. It's completely disrupted. Big area for technical innovation and for technical, you know, I would say, disruption. The second part of that, of course, is around you know uh, payments. When you are, if you think about just how people used to pay and how they're paying for things today, It's a dramatic difference. I just did a panel um, on what global, on on sort of the global payments ecosystem, and I had the a close, good friend, Vasanth Prabhu, who's the vice chairman of Visa on it. And you know, if you think about it, for them and their business, they've seen the debit part of their business go through the roof. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Even people walking into a store would prefer to pay now with their phone than they would with something that they have to physically touch, right? yeah so cash payments worldwide are down by almost 10 percent and so that's been a great sort of i would say shift and i think which is the reason why all these companies are trading at such high multiples whether it's visa or paypal or ardian or take your pick that's changed yeah. i think the other big sort of change we see is around the footprint of cybersecurity. and you know, if you're working from home, you're no longer inside the perimeter of an enterprise. So your the whole framework around cybersecurity is changing. I think the, the next couple of years, the advent of 5G and the availability of a low latency, zero latency, high bandwidth network allows for a lot of different devices to be connected to the internet, which is the promise of the IOT world or the OT world, but hasn't quite mm-hmm. been fulfilled yet. And so if you look, we had the CEO of Qualcomm at our summit a couple of weeks ago, and when you hear him talk about what 5G could mean, I think the next two or three years, it opens up a lot of potential opportunities, but also a lot of potential threats, right? So I think those kind of opportunities always exist. I've been following quantum compute for a long time. I think there's a ton of opportunity in quantum, very far from being commercialized, but as someone who's interested in science, very interesting, right? Kind of defeats yeah. the laws of physics of what we learn.
0: Now, uh, one trend that we um, are hearing about quite a bit from investors is, you know, um, you've been around for a long time, so have I, and we've, we, used, we come from this era in Silicon Valley where people would not invest in companies that are more than 15 miles away from them. And, uh, and now people are investing without meeting people half the, half the way around the world. So uh, what, uh, what is your uh, current thesis around what geography you're comfortable with investing in?
1: So we have actually, as a firm, never been of the mindset that we are, if I live in Southern California, I want to be a Southern California investor. And honestly, I kind of joke with people I was with one of my investors yesterday. I've lived in Los Angeles, Santa Monica area for 20 years and I've been investing now for 20 years, but I've only invested in two companies in LA and Uh all of my companies have been all over the world. Mostly I would say, you know, focused on either the Bay area or India because that's where I have relationships and networks. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little bit about, you know, what, who do you know and where do you know them? And that, that, uh, envelope has expanded quite dramatically and the, I would say even the opportunity set as you mentioned if you're thinking about you know, Montevideo and stuff like that has also expanded dramatically because 10 years ago there weren't such opportunities, right?
0: Definitely.
1: We are Right now we are very deep in diligence on a payments company in Brazil.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, five years, ago, five years yeah. ago, I wouldn't have thought of it, right?
0: So are you going to invest in a company in that company if it passes all the other business due diligence and yes and, and without business, meeting
1: well first um, one of the board members we know really well so it helps okay. to have a relationship with someone who you trust
0: yeah. second it's an area we
1: know really well because we've done payments for the last 20 years we were the first investors in in my prior fund in PayPal. So we've seen that evolution of that ecosystem. Third, we have people around us who know Brazil very well and what's happening on the ground. I personally may not know it very well, but we have people around us. So that gives me comfort that at least we know what we're getting into. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So it's a random company. So, you know, we have a company that we invested in in the gaming space in Berlin. Now. Mm-hmm. If it was a company building its business in berlin selling into europe where we have zero way to add value or understand what they're doing we probably wouldn't have invested but they were keen to open an office in la and expand their footprint in the gaming universe in the u.s that we would help right okay so that becomes more interesting for us because now we can help them they know what we can do for them they office in our office they opened the u.s office in our office so we had some insight into what was going on so there's always there's always some angle why it's interesting right
0: yeah yeah absolutely and 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 how to add value how to manage the company also i think uh, and you have very articulately explained what you know what you're going to do with brazil and what you cannot do with with berlin perhaps if unless it's like, a u.s market facing company yeah
1: so we have a list of let's say a hundred It's probably more than 100, but let's say there's 100 companies that are developing SaaS software in India that we have been following now for the last year or two or three, right? 25 of those companies we've had already interactions with. And their interest is, how can we work with a fund that can invest in our Series B or C or D, but then help us build a organization and build a build a footprint in the United States or in North America and then expand our business, we've maybe generated 5 million or $10 million selling into India, not into Indonesia into Vietnam, maybe even the Middle East and Europe, but we now need help to enter the US market. That's very exciting for us.
0: So, um, you know, before we finish, I'm going to, after we finish the session today, I will send you um, a company from our portfolio. It's a cybersecurity company based in India, has already about a million dollar ARR, but it's potentially looking for an exit. So, um, you, since you've mentioned that you have a bunch of cybersecurity companies in your portfolio that are looking to build um, sure. potentially through our solutions, that might be a... Good fit. Please do. All right. Well, very nice to see you again. And you uh, too. Keep in touch.
1: Yes, we will. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye
0: bye.